Welcome to the third week of spring. March 20th, two weeks ago, was the first official day of spring, so we are beginning actually our third week of spring. And it was also the official, or the unofficial, I should say, date of the beginning of yard sale season. Now, my wife and I have already been out yard sailing. In fact, I love the signs, the creativity as you walk around for different yard sales. And uh, yesterday, while we were out, I found the find of finds, a set of anodized aluminum drinking cups. In fact, I have them here with me. That may bring back some memories from people who are older in my age. I bought them, of course, just for nostalgic reasons alone. As drinking cups, they're awful. They're terrible. They sweat profusely. They're really cold to hold in your hands. But whenever we went over to my grandparents' house, these were the cups that they used to give us to drink from. Almost brought a tear to my eye when I saw them there. And it was a good opportunity to begin practicing your bartering skills. She said five, I said three, we met at four. I'd have paid her five even if she had stuck to it because I wanted those cups that bad. But you kind of have to do that on the sly and slip a price out and pretend like you're not paying attention and you know, see what she comes to. It's a whole dance you do that you learn how to do when you're out there bargaining and yard sailing. Well, speaking of memories, if you missed any message of the year, you want to catch up, you want to listen to one again, you can always do so by going to ffcsermons.org where you can listen online, download the message, share with a friend. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the Live tab, and watch a previously recorded message. With that, let's pray, and we'll see what God has for us today. Father, we thank you for your presence, that you are here with us no matter what, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, faithful and underneath of the are those everlasting arms. Father, we thank you that you invite us into your presence, that you care for us, that you have what we need, and that you offer it so freely. We commit our time to you. Thank you for your presence here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What makes you cry? Now, typically we think of women as the emotional ones, right? Men, we're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to be in, you know, in touch with our feelings. And maybe that's the way it is in your home. But in my case, my wife is not the emotional one. She is not the most sensitive one. And that's not a dig on my wife. She will happily tell you that she is not the emotional one. That's me. I admit it. I am a sensitive man. I cry at movies. I share my feelings I cry even at good commercials. Sometimes it's embarrassing. I remember we were sitting together, my family, my daughters, and at the time, her fiancé, who is now her husband, Paul, and a commercial for the Sylvan Learning Company came on. It made me tear up. In the commercial, mom is in the kitchen at the sink, and you see a skateboard slowly creep across the floor, and she says, Mark, you know you're not supposed to skateboard in the house. And then she, she looks down, and there's his report card on the skateboard. Watch with me. Mark, what did I tell you about skateboarding in the house? Ah, report card.
This moment brought to you by Sylvan Learning Center. I'll go. All right, you two. That's enough goofing around. I think I'm afraid. Time to turn out the light. Wait, Mom. I just got to the best part. Yeah, the best part. The roller coaster worked its way to the very this top. This moment of the brought to you by Wait. Sylvan Learning Center. I had to watch that a lot of times to make sure I wouldn't tear up while I was showing them to you this morning. So there I am tearing up, and it's when my daughter turns to me and says, Dad, are you crying? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I got something in my eye. That's why, that's why I'm rubbing my eyes. When I baptized my children, I cried. When my oldest daughter uh, got married, she took bets with her sister to see whether or not I would cry at the wedding. In fact, I think they were trying to make me cry on purpose. Now, Ken Davis is a Christian speaker, and he told the story of watching his daughter be baptized. He said it was an interesting situation because they went to a very small church, a startup, and, and they didn't have a tank or nothing, he said. So they had to make arrangements with another church to use their baptismal tank. And it was in the middle of winter, and they got to this other church, and the church had forgotten that they were coming. So there was no water in the tank at all. Now, what, there was a way to get water into the tank, but the water came out at about 37 degrees, and it took like three hours to fill the tank. So because they didn't have that amount of time, they only filled it about you know, 18 inches, maybe two feet. It was the most amazing surface he said he had ever seen. It's the only time he said that he saw a conservative pastor get into the tank and go, whoa, glory to God, it was so cold. He said, it's a good thing they didn't fill all the way. He'd have froze to death. Each time a person got in the water, it was like, whoa, amen. Some of them even had to force themselves to step into the water. But when they came up out of the water after being baptized, the water was warmer because of their tears. Their lives had been totally changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And this was a demonstration that they were going to follow him. The testimonies that these people gave were heart-rendering and encouraging because they had gone from hopelessness to hope. And I believe with all my heart that when that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice as well as God the Father. The title of my message today is, It's Enough to Make You Cry. And what I'm talking about is a verse in Scripture, a verse that has always been one of my favorite verses. When I was a child, I loved this verse because we got to go to Bible camp if we memorized verses. And this verse is found in chapter 11 of John, verse 35. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. I love that verse because it only took me like two or three you know, days to memorize that verse. But then as I grew older, I began to understand who Jesus was. And this verse, this verse took on a new meaning for me. I just like very much the pictures that we see of, of Jesus, of someone who is you know, emaciated and frail and looks like he'll just fall over if a strong wind blows. That isn't the picture that the Bible paints of Jesus. Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom, that he grew in stature, that he grew in favor with God, and that he grew in favor with men. He was the ultimate of everything that God was and the ultimate of everything that man was. This was no weak kind of person. And because I grew up in a culture where I was taught wrongly, I believe that it's wrong for men to cry, I wondered what would make this kind of a man cry, this 
tough man cry. This was a man who walked into the temple, and they were cheating one another, selling animals and sacrifices, and he tipped over all the tables and and single-handedly cleared them out. This is a man who called his disciples from some of the toughest men of the day. The equivalent of today is a longshoreman. And as you read it, it doesn't say that he kind of went down there and said, uh, excuse me, would, could you all please form a, a semicircle around me? I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about something. It says, no, he went down and he says, you and you, follow me. And they did. Now I asked myself, what would make someone like that cry? What would make someone like that weep? What would make the God who created the universe break into tears? I remember an answer that an older gentleman gave me. He said, well, there's a verse in Scripture that says that Jesus has feelings like we do, and indeed he does. And he said that that story comes from where Jesus was at the funeral of Lazarus, his friend. And he felt so bad that his friend had died that because he has feelings like you and I do, he cried as well. I thought, well, you know, that sounds really good. I certainly would be crying if my friend had just died. Then I did something that was amazing. I actually read the story. And when I read it, I discovered something else altogether. Jesus did not cry because he was sad that Lazarus died. He cried, I am going to suggest, for another reason altogether. Jesus did not go to this place and suddenly get surprised by the fact that his his friend Lazarus had died. I'm going to suggest that he knew what was going to happen all along. He knew what he was going to do all along. And he cried because the people he loved, the teenagers he loved, the adults he loved, could not see what he had to offer. It's a marvelous story. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 11, verse 1. There are Bibles in the the seats in front of you as well, and I'll have the Scripture up here on the screens. And it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now we live in a world that is full of grief and sadness. And I'm guessing that at least one, maybe more, of the folks that have walked through these doors came in here this morning with something that they are struggling with some difficulty in their life. There are teenagers who are dealing with heartbreak, maybe adults as well. There's some people that came in not knowing where their next penny would come from because they've lost their job. Maybe some folks are, who are thinking, can I even stay in the job I'm currently in for a few more weeks? It's, it's so bad. Some of you are experiencing the terror of having your family fall apart right in front of you. There are adults sitting here watching their children go in directions they know will be dis- destructive to their lives, and they feel helpless to do anything about it. Because we live in a sinful world, each one of you came in here with some sort of struggle, some kind of pain, and God has marvelous news for us today. So here's what I'm going to do as we go through this text, as we work our way through the Scripture. My suggestion is that Jesus planned all along to raise Lazarus from the dead, that he didn't get there and was like totally surprised and bummed out that Lazarus had died and he had to go to to plan B, I'm going to suggest he planned it from moment one. 
And you don't have to believe me. We're going to look through the scriptures for the clues that we see in the story. We're going to look for clues as to why he did it. And the first clue is found right here in this chapter in verse 4. And it says this, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. Jesus said this sickness will not end in death. In fact, he goes on to say that Lazarus is sick so that the glory of God may be shown, that God might be glorified. This sickness will not end in death. That's the first clue. And this is especially fascinating because just a few verses later, in verse 14, it says, Jesus still speaking, same conversation. He says straight out, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) Now, Now, don't ever tell me the Bible isn't fascinating. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. We got a problem here. Jesus himself says, the sickness is not unto death. But then he says, Lazarus is dead. Why do you suppose he said that? If he knew that Lazarus was going to die, why did he say that this sickness is not unto death? Today, that's the the reason I gave it to you as clue one, because I think he was going to raise him from the dead, and I think he knew he was going to do it. You see, when you're dead, you're dead. You don't get well from being dead. Dead is like really permanent, right? I mean, you can have COVID. And you can, you can come in and say, oh, man, I had the COVID. It was terrible. I felt so bad. I was, I was so weak, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay now. But no one is ever going to walk through those doors and say, you know, last Friday I passed away. Today I feel a whole lot better, though. That's, that's just not going to happen. Death is pretty permanent. That's never going to happen because dead is dead. And Jesus said that that is not where Lazarus is. It isn't about the fact that he is dead, dead, as he says in verse 14. I think he knew all along what he was going to do. So he said, this sickness is not unto death. That's the first clue. Now, Jesus goes on to say, no, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He waited This is the second clue. Why didn't he rush right over there to heal Lazarus right away? I'm suggesting he had a plan. He didn't run out to where Lazarus was and and heal him, even though he was his favorite friend, because he was planning on raising Lazarus from the dead. In fact, he was so excited about this, of what he was going to do for his friends. Now, Now, I don't know what your hurt is. I don't know what your pain is, what your struggle is. But if you're like me, The tendency is that when problems come my way, I tend to look up to God and say, God, why why me? Why are you picking on me? What did I do? And sometimes the answer to why me is God saying, I love you, and I'm going to show my power through you. I just need you to trust me. See that marvelous clue? He wants He says he loved him, so he waited. Then it says, he said this to his disciples, he said, okay, let's go back to Judea. He's ready to go now. He's waited two days. He's all excited, but there's no sorrow here. He's not sad. He says, okay, let's go back to Judea. Now, we often think that the disciples were people that whenever they heard Jesus speak, you know, because he was like God, they would just agree with him. They would say, Lord, whatever thou sayest, we will do. No, it wasn't like that. The disciples were people like you and me. And oftentimes there were disagreements. And when Jesus said, let's go back to Judea, there was a big disagreement. Now, I don't know what the protocol was for disagreeing with Jesus. 
I don't know how you did that. Maybe it was like in a meeting and you, you, you raised your hand and you said, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, I'm glad you acknowledged me. Uh, I think your idea is a good one and everything, but uh, last time we were there, uh, they threw rocks at us. I'm not sure that's the best plan. Now, I see some people saying, sit through rocks at me. Where does it say that in the Scripture? Well, I want you to take a look. That's what they said. But, 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 but Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and you want to go back there? Are you sure you've got this in order? Have you been out in the sun too long? You want to go back to Judea? Now, listen to how he answers. I love this. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. <laughs> Remember, the question is, why are we going back there? And Jesus says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. You see, I know we think the disciples heard this and they said, oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay, let's go. I think they did the same thing I did the first time I read it. What? How does that answer the question at all? But after I read it a few times, it suddenly dawned on me. What Jesus is saying is that if you're with me, you don't have to worry. If you walk in the light where I am, you won't stumble and fall. You don't have to worry about that. He gave them the perfect answer. So he said, come on, let's go. Let's go back to Judea. After he said that, he went on to tell them. And this is beautiful. You have to write this down. This is the third clue. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's trying to get them to understand. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we're going there to wake him up. Uh, yes, you in the back? Well, I, I realize this is the second time that I've raised my hand and everything, and, and I, don't mean to, I don't mean to be a troublemaker or, or a bad person, but I have a suggestion. If Lazarus is sleeping, why don't we wait here and just let him wake up on his own? You know, because those rocks, they hurt. We don't want to go back there. That's what they were worried about. I love it. I absolutely love this. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, some of you have been through tragedy, and it's very important not to lose sight of what that must have done to the disciples. This was terrible news. This was their friend. In fact, this morning... My wife came in a little late, and when she came in, she leaned over to me, and she said, Auntie Nitz is dead. Her aunt who lives in uh, D.C. With her, with her son, he's a pastor in the Air Force, died in her sleep last night. And she says, she's dead. And so immediately, that was kind of an unexpected thing, and it catches your breath. He's dead? What do you mean, dead? Where'd that come from? When Jesus said, Lazarus is dead, it had to catch his disciples by surprise. Lazarus is dead. Now that kind of, that's the kind of thought that would have gone through their heart. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. 
Okay, let's go. Do you hear any sadness in there? Jesus being sad. Do you hear him being sad at all? No, there's no sadness near. He's not going, oh, Lazarus is dead. We might as well just go to the funeral. No, I'm glad I wasn't there. That's the fourth clue. Why would he talk like that? He would only talk like that if he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. Now let's go. He's excited. He's excited. Let's go. Come on. This is going to make you believe. See, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Remember that thing maybe that you came in here with this morning. I don't know, don't know what it is. Whatever it was, think about that thing that's been bothering you. Let's imagine just for a second that one of our friends is, is here. It's the funeral of a dear friend. And we're here to honor their life. And we are grieving and our, our hearts are broken. And as we conduct the funeral, Jesus walks through the doors. He walks down the aisle. He pauses briefly and then he reaches down to the hand of our friend and he lifts him up out of the casket alive. And as he does so, that person begins to jump up and down and everyone around begins to jump up and down and, and sing and shout. Tell me, how would your problem look compared to that? I think There'd be people here jumping up and down, excited about what they had just seen, because suddenly you realize if Jesus can do that, he can do anything. He can meet the problem that you came in here with, that brought you here today. He can change your life. He can heal your family. At a minimum, God will walk with you through the deepest and darkest valleys of your life. That's what he's excited about. He's going to show his disciples something that will strengthen their faith for the rest of their days. He's excited. And oh, were the disciples excited? Oh my goodness, they're just thrilled to death over this. One of them goes, yeah, we might as well go with him so we can all die at the same time. They're completely, they're still thinking about the rocks. Don't you hate that? My wife and I run into people all the time uh, that... Uh, you know, are, are like that. I think there are people who think they're really being spiritual and really they're just miserable and they want to share it. You know, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. I'm just hanging on there another day. Yeah, inside my head, I'm like, God, maybe you want to take them and move them on out of the way. Take them on home now. These guys had attitudes that were unbelievable. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there. That's the fourth clue. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. That's very important. In Jewish custom, it was believed that the soul of a person kind of hung around for three days just in case something should happen. But after the fourth day, there was absolutely no way anything was going to happen. That person was truly gone. So there could be no question that if he came back to life, this would be an absolute miracle. Jesus learned that he'd be in the grave for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now picture this. Here is an excited God. Jesus, the Son of God, comes to this village. He is so excited about what he is going to do. Not only for Lazarus, but for all of the other people that he loves and that he cares for. He's been planning this, and he's excited about giving them their gift. 
a man told a story about how he met his wife. They were peeling potatoes to pay their way through college. One day, her glasses dropped into the potato vat. Now, the man said she was beautiful, but he didn't know it because the glasses she wore were like the ugliest glasses that you had ever seen. If you remember those really old glasses that looked like bird kind of wings all up on the end, he said she was wearing those glasses. And when they fell off, he saw her and said, this woman is drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful. And so he asked her out, and she said yes. They began to date, and he wanted to marry her, but he, he didn't want to ask her to marry him like a thousand other men had asked. Well, not that a thousand other men had asked her, but he didn't want to ask it in the same way. He wanted to do something that was unique and creative and different. And so he began one night over dinner. He took her hand, and she wore a birthstone ring on that hand, and he removed the ring while they were talking, and he whispered in her ear, someday, I'm going to exchange that ring for a diamond. And he slipped her old ring back on the finger. She freaked out. She looked down thinking it was going to be a diamond. Well, it was just her same old ring. So the next day, they went out on another date, and he did it again. And he said, someday I'm going to exchange this ring for a diamond. And she looked again. And he did it again and again and again and again. And after about 15 or 20 times, she stopped looking. He would say the words, and she'd just roll her eyes like, here we go again. He's never going to exchange that ring. And then he was ready. So he sold everything that he had to buy the right diamond for her. She came over that night for dinner at his parents' house. Later that night, as they were sitting on the couch, he took her hand just as before. He took off the old ring, and he said, someday I'm going to exchange this for a diamond. Only this time... He slipped on the diamond, and they kept on talking. She didn't look down at the ring. She knew immediately it was just the same old ring. Then she got up to go into the kitchen to get them something to drink. And he says, from the kitchen, you could hear a scream. And she came running back into the room and leaped into his arms, and they both fell backwards and totally smashed his parents' coffee table to bits. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It had changed her life. They both fell down. It was wonderful. Now let's rewind. Let's rewind and try that one more time. Imagine she came out of the kitchen and she said, is that the best you can do? There wasn't a bigger diamond you could have gotten me? Is that, is that all you could do? Now, if that had been me, I'd, I'd have been devastated. He had spent everything. Now hang on with me. Jesus approaches the village and he has a gift. His gift is far more valuable than all the diamonds that you could find in the universe. And the gift he brings to his friends, the gift he brings to the ones he loves, the gift he brings to Lazarus is the gift of life. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Tell me it isn't going to happen. There's no doubt for me. I think all of the language indicates, indicates it. He is excited that this is what he's going to do. And this is how he is greeted. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Translation, is that the best you can do? Translation, God, why me? She said, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then she comes up with a very religious sounding statement. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. Boy, that sounds wonderful. 
When she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, I think it broke the heart of Jesus. But then suddenly she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask for. And I think his heart caught on fire again because he said to her, he just, just came out with it, your brother will rise again. There it is. He had opened the diamond box. He was showing her the diamond, showing her what he was going to do. Your brother will rise again. And here's proof that she totally missed what he was saying. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Until then, I'm just going to keep on suffering. Now listen to the next verse in the context. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Translation, Martha, I'm, I'm what the resurrection is all about. If I can do it on the last day, I can do it now. And I'm here to do it now, Martha. Do you believe this? And her response is, yes, Lord, she said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Only that wasn't the question that he asked. That was a nice try at something, but that's not the question that he asked. The Bible says it was then that he looked around and he saw her sister weeping and her friends weeping, and he was deeply moved. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they said. Jesus wept. His heart was stirred. Why? Because Lazarus was dead? Because he was lying in some tomb? I don't think so. I think he was weeping because he had everything that these people needed. He had everything he needed to change that situation in that moment of grieving, from a moment of grieving and of sorrow to unbelievable joy and celebration. He had given them the diamond, and their response was total blindness. They couldn't see it. And I think we do that all the time. I get up in the morning, some mornings, and I wake up, and the first thought I have is, how am I going to get done today? All of the things that I need to get done. And if I don't ask that question, my wife will ask it for me. How are you going to get done all the things I have planned for you to do today, right? How are you going to get them all done? I wake up in the morning and I wonder, how am I going to get that stuff done? Maybe you wake up in the morning worried about something, <clears throat> something or someone that you're going to need to face that day. Maybe some other problem is staring you in the face and maybe you realize that you've sinned in some grievous way against God and he sits by your bed. And he says, I have what you need for today. Today is a situation, a situation will come into your life that you're not ready for. And he says, I have what you need for today. But you're too worried. Think about, you're thinking about how you're going to control all the problems in your life. And so we eat a quick breakfast. We get in the car to go to work or catch the bus or go to school. And he waits. And at the end of the day, we fall exhausted into bed, wondering how can we face another day. We were out to eat two nights ago at uh, Bertucci's up in the Timonium direction. We got there, the restaurant was only half full, and uh, we said two, and they said there'd be a 15-minute wait. And so we both leaned in and looked around the restaurant, and we said, really? You got a lot of empty tables? And, and the waitress said, we've been absolutely slammed. And we just can't take another person at the moment. We need time to recoup, 
to clean up. And we said, okay, we'll wait 15 minutes. The waitress that waited on us clearly was at her wit's end. In fact, we heard her talking to the manager. I think this is my last night. I think I'm done. And by the end, as she was cleaning up and we were walking out the door, she had a whole tray of drinks in her hand when she turned around and hit the chair next to it and water went all over and she just dropped the tray on the table in disgust. At her wit's end, not knowing what to do, Jesus is there in those moments. And when we turn away from him, he puts his head in his hands, I think, and he weeps because he has everything we need and we can't see it. We refuse to see it. I believe that more than anything else is what brings sorrow to the heart of God. The Bible records one other time when Jesus wept as he was looking over the city of Jerusalem. And as he looked over, he saw the pain, he saw the destruction and the hurt that sin had brought into their lives, and he wept. He had what those people needed, and they were blind to see it. God has a miracle waiting for you today. But it won't come if you don't believe the things that you actually say you believe. It only comes when we give him everything. When we say, I'm not going to worry anymore, Lord, because you said you care about me more than I care about myself. It only comes when we are really ready to believe enough to act on those beliefs. Paul tells us in Romans that if we confess that Jesus is Lord, that he raised from the dead, confess that he is our Lord, then and verbally confess those things, then that we are saved. But it takes more than just that act. It's not just a simple formula. You need to believe what you've just said and act on that. It needs to change your life. Worship team, you can make your way back up. I'll end with this story. A college student was asked to teach a class in Christian education in such a way that no one would ever forget it. And so he taught the law of the pendulum. It's a marvelous physical law. And it simply says that if you take a pendulum, a weight suspended from a point, and you pull that back and you release it from that point, it can never return to a height higher than the point from which it was released. In fact, because of, of friction and drag, it will fall short from that point from which you were released it. And it may come uh, and it'll continue losing a little bit of energy on, on each swing until eventually it stops and the pendulum has reached equilibrium. And he taught this, and then he asked, how many believed in the law of the pendulum? And every hand went up, and they began clapping for him, and the teacher walked forward, and he said, sir, I, I'm not done yet. Suspended from the ceiling in the room was 250 pounds of, of metal that had been duct-taped together. And on one side of the room was a table, and on that table was a chair. And he said, sir, would you please sit in that chair, and would you kindly put your head firmly against the concrete wall behind you? And he pulled that 250-pound weight back and touched the tip of the nose of the professor. Now, sir, he said, the law of the pendulum states that if it's a good pendulum, it will swing across the room. And when it comes back, it may come within a thousandth of an inch of your nose, but it cannot touch you. And if it's a bad pendulum, then anything it does, even if the rope stretches, will only decrease its performance and you'll be even safer. He was totally safe according to the law of the pendulum. And he said, sir, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Big beads of sweat began to form on his upper lip. And he said, yes, I, I, I believe. Sound familiar?
Yes, I believe. He released the pendulum, and it swung across the room, and it hung there momentarily in the air, and then it started back. You never saw a man move so fast in all your life to get out of the way of that pendulum. Now, I have a question for you. Did he believe in the law of the pendulum? No, he did not believe in the law of the pendulum. He understood it intellectually. He could diagram it all on the board, but he was not ready to trust his face to it. And I think that's what happens with us. Sometimes we, we sing the songs, we read the Bible, we pray these prayers, but somehow we've not turned that into something that we are actually acting on. We refuse to give it to Him so that He might help us in a way that we can't do for ourselves. When you came in the door, whatever your struggle was, whatever you've been hanging on to, if you're like me, you go to prayer with Jesus, and you lay that at his feet, but as you begin to leave from Jesus' presence, you pick it back up again and you take it with you. Today he's saying, open your eyes. Trust your life to what you say you believe. I care about your family. I care about your children. I care about the things that you care about. I care about what's happening in your life. Trust me with your life that I will bring joy into your life. Know this, that when that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice and dance when you open up your heart and life to him and you trust him. And that begins with saying, Lord, I know I've screwed up. I know I've sinned. I know I need rescue. I need help. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Walk with me through the deepest, darkest valleys of my life. When you do that, you enter a whole new world where there are resources that are unlimited at your disposal in Jesus Christ. The angel of heaven dances, and so does the God of the universe. He celebrates. If Jesus can raise Lazarus, which he goes on to do in the rest of this section from the dead, he can do anything. He can meet you where you are today. Faith, I never like to end a message without saying what I always say. Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you. Have a good day in Jesus. Let's end with a song.